Welcome to the Clean Clothes Podcast. In today's show, we are talking about a just transition. It is a big conversation. The systemic crises are uh, interconnected, be it the climate crisis, biodiversity crisis, water crisis, food crisis. So if we all want to overcome this crisis, we really need uh, the people's movements to come together. It's about how we need to build a better world if we want to survive in the future. And about what that means for the rights of all workers. We're talking about one of the most polluting industries on the planet, synonymous with overconsumption, uh, pollution, increasing waste crisis, but also exploitation of workers. And what the Clean Clothes Campaign Network needs to do. It really is a challenge for us to understand what are these implications for workers and what is it that we imagine a just transition looks like. You just heard from several of our guests We will meet them all again later in the show. I'm Fabriana Firdaus. The challenges of the climate and ecological crisis are enormous, but in many ways we still don't know what it involves for workers. How do we transition to a business model that is good for workers and the environment? It's often seen as something for the energy sector to carry out. We do need to change the energy sector, but we also need much more than that. This episode is about starting some of that discussion with the people in the Clean Clothes Network and with others outside. Right now, a just transition can have different meanings for a different movement. But the campaigns will be stronger if these meanings are connected. How do we make that happen in our own countries and our own place of work? Rochelle Porras is executive director of ILER, a Q-Manical Institute for Labor Education and Research in the Philippines. It's true, we have to really transition into a, a low-carbon economy, otherwise we won't have a, a planet you know, to live in. The production system is absolutely not sustainable uh, as of the moment. Um, but I guess the problem lies in the uh, implementation of the programs, the, the country-level policies when we talk about just transition. First and foremost, just transition in the Philippines or in developing countries like the Philippines receive less attention because the energy industry still is facing the very basic of problems such as you know some many of our areas still don't have electricity so it's very it's it's mind-blowing for us to talk about these technological advancement when the very basic you know you need electricity to run things something as basic as that we don't have it yet likewise the the philippine energy industry is also guided by privatization you know, liberalization, and so no public ownership and renewable energy industries are primarily being provided and enjoyed by the biggest industry players as well. As a as a third world country, it's it's 
a lot different. So a lot of production are happening in Southeast Asian countries, including the Philippines. But a lot of the design, the research, the planning, it these are happening in the countries where multinational corporations are hosted or are based. So what we get here in producing countries are not necessarily transfer of technology, but the model of production that these multinational corporations want us to take on in order to produce the products that they needed. So essentially, there is no technological transfer. And once a new technology is introduced in a setup of a neo-colonial country and with the arise of neoliberalization as well, most of the workers experience displacement. Um, Decent work will not exist if you know, workers' rights and welfare are not protected. And if the current economic systems that, you know, we are, we have in this, uh, present COVID-19 pandemic is promoting, you know, neoliberal policies and uh, extreme attacks on workers, um, uh, wages, labor standards and welfare. If this persists, you know, green jobs will not really mean decent work or decent job quality for all. We felt like it is high time to start a worker-led transition. Hence, we started a roundtable discussion in 2018. And from there, we gathered more facts and then brought it out and presented it to uh, NGOs, CSOs that we work with, such as um, environmental groups that are... uh, working on transition to renewable energy and so on. By 2019, we have pledges from unions in the service sector, in the manufacturing sector, and likewise included are the agricultural workers. We have all agreed and pledged that this will be a campaign platform and a, a, and a, and a research platform to conduct more uh, evidence-based research on the possibility and understanding the impact of the implementation of just transition in their particular industries. You know, the organized forces of labor, along with the environmental groups and the, the youth, are all involved in understanding that without a collective voice and collective action, um, we will not arrive at a common goal of what we wanted to be the model of just transition that works in the Philippines. What makes it very difficult to do so is the repressive uh, situation that we have in in the Philippines. You know, you know um, it, it, it's sad to say, but the Philippines is the number one country in terms of the killings of environmental and land rights defender. We are also included in the top 10 list of the worst countries for workers because of extreme violation of trade union rights. And to date, there are 51 trade unionists that have been victim, uh, victims of extrajudicial killings in the Philippines. And there's also the war on drugs that targeted the poor, I invite also uh, you and the listeners to take a look, take a closer look at the Philippine situation and um, express your solidarity with the 
human rights violations that has happened and the call for justice, echo the call for justice for all the victims, especially the land rights defenders. That's Rochelle Porras from Isler. The round tables are a starting point for a social dialogue which brings together different communities and sectors in society. In the Philippines, this didn't only talk about changes in the energy sector. They also highlighted growing automation at work as a major transition that workers face. The challenges are global and workers in all sectors must respond globally. Alison Tate is Director of Social and Economic Policy at the International Trade Union Confederation, ITUC. That work includes the ITUC's Just Transition Center. The center was set up after the 2015 Paris Agreement on Climate Change. That was the first time governments promised to commit to a just transition in an international agreement. So we set up the Just Transition Centre as a way to support the capacity and the engagement of trade unions around those challenges and to really develop the relationships with business and government at local level, that means municipal level, at state level, at a national level, and indeed above that across countries, to really shift what's possible in terms of ensuring a just transition. So we have to acknowledge that at a societal level, we all need to make changes and transition. But transitions in the past haven't gone so well where they haven't been planned. So, you know, we can see examples where people have, local economies have been devastated. You've been left with intergenerational unemployment because there hasn't been the forward thinking about what's needed in those communities. So what should be involved is workers and in their workplaces being able to really engage with their management as to what steps the companies are taking to reduce carbon emissions, whether that's workers on a production line or in a, a manufacturing process or in an in an agricultural process, they are the people who really know the local conditions best. And, and when that knowledge is really taken into the process to think more creatively about what we need, then we can see that a genuinely economic and social as well as environmental sustainability plan can be put in place. What we would see as a good just transition plan is that governments, employers, unions and community are all involved in anticipating the changes and responding to that in a way that, you know, the United Nations has this language in the sustainable development goals of not leaving anyone behind. That's what it's all about. It's having an employment plan, a skills training plan. What are the investments needed for that local economy to thrive? What are the jobs that are going to be needed in that local economy? And how are those workers who are currently part of that community with the skills level that they currently have, what's going to be needed to transition to actually 
redeploy workers where workers are going to be phased out of that work because the industry is going to be phased out or that type of production is going to be phased out. And that's really different in different countries, in different societies, in different cultures and in different local economies. I would give one of the really great examples of being the coal phase-out plans in Spain. You know, Spain is one of the few countries that's taken on actually having a just transition plan at the national level. They set up a whole process that engaged trade unions in, in the companies and the regions that are most impacted. They have a plan around what kind of investment is needed, what kind of hours of work is needed as a transition. There's a plan for the future rather than just, you know, crossing fingers and hoping it'll all work out. They've actually pulled together the real stakeholders in these processes. And it hasn't been an easy process. It's taken time. But there's a real engagement around understanding that it's not only about what that particular industry delivers to the economy, but how that fits in the bigger picture of the economic future of the country and the economic plans for social policy, you know, what it means in terms of pension ages, what it means in terms of young, younger workers having access to apprenticeships and training and really having a forward-looking view. I would say that in some cases, because of the way we organise society, you know, there are different movements, right? There's the labour movement, the environment movement, there are others who see their identity around working for ensuring human rights are respected. And somehow we've got those separated, like siloed in some way. But I would say that the importance of dealing with climate change and addressing it from the perspective of both equality and ensuring transition is a process that engages the stakeholders, then that is about alliance building. And sometimes people see themselves on different sides of the fence, but actually a just transition process can really bring together in a really profound way those different actors into an understanding that we're not actually going to achieve it if we don't all work on the same side of the fence. That's Alison Tate from the ITUC. Remember, if you like this podcast, please share it with your Clean Clothes Camping college. And if you haven't subscribed already, make sure you do. You will get an email every time we publish a new episode, so you will not miss a thing. The clearest example of Just Transitions initiative in action are mostly in the energy sector. That's how the Paris Agreement talks about Just Transition as well. But the challenge is much bigger than even that. In 2015, ILO published its Just Transition Guidelines that talks about sustainable development across all sectors. It needs social dialogue, social protection, rights at work, and jobs. 
across the garment industry, it's hard to find serious plans for any of this. Consultancies and industry produce reports on the environments and fashions, but they never talk about workers. We're talking about one of the most polluting industries on the planet, synonymous with overconsumption, uh, pollution, but also exploitation of workers. That's Urskar Trang, campaign manager from Changing Markets. Our mission is to expose irresponsible um, corporate practices and drive change towards more sustainable economy. This involves changing the way products are made, how they are used and what happens after that. It's about making manufacturing more sustainable for the environment. That is just one small part of what a just transition needs. We are actually running two campaigns um, currently in the fashion uh, industry. For example, our recent campaign uh, called Fossil Fashion uh, exposes that today's fast fashion model is enabled by cheap synthetic fibers. Uh, already more than half of all the textiles we use today is made from polyester. Uh, and if the industry continues down this road, um, in 10 years, almost three quarters of our textiles will be made from plastic-based fibers. Um, another one of our campaigns called Dirty Fashion that we have been running for four years now uh, looks at viscose. And this is increasingly um, popular with the fashion brands. Um, the campaign highlights that uh, viscose is today largely manufactured through a dirty process that has uh, devastating impacts on people and environment around the production sites, uh, namely in Asia, in countries such as India, um, China, um, and Indonesia. And we want to hold corporations into account um, and push them to actually adopt more sustainable models of manufacturing. Actually, it might come to surprise to many that less than 1% of all clothes are recycled back to clothes. Um, and this is what is currently needed. We need uh, some sort of eco-design measures to make sure that the clothes that come to our market are not only produced in a responsible way, meaning that they limit the uh, input of harmful uh, chemicals, but are also uh, produced in a way that can be reused and recycled at the end of life. Um, and this is what we um, talk about, about circular economy. We still have a long way to go to actually achieve that. The corporations themselves have you know, failed to change their dirty ways. And where we see the solution is in legislation. It's time for policymakers to step up and regulate this sector. Um, and actually, there's a really great opportunity coming up. Uh, the European Commission is currently uh, preparing an EU textile strategy, uh, which could really be a game changer for a circular economy. And exactly what they're discussing is some eco-design measures to um, have criteria for what kind of materials come to the market, whether they have the potential to be reused and recycled at the end of life. And what will also be discussed is uh, to make sure that um, companies are responsible for the 
overproduction they create and for the, the items they put out on the market. While our own expertise lies in um, environmental protection and supply chain investigation, we understand that um, environmental and social issues are kind of two sides of the same coin and are um, intrinsically linked. So uh, this is why we have a long-standing partnership with the Clean Clothes campaign. This partnership allowed us to have a holistic approach um, and take into account um, not only social justice, but also environmental justice when looking at the challenges. Everyone in this episode talk about the need to build alliances between worker rights and other movements. You heard Alison and Roselle say this earlier. Karen Nansen is with Friends of the Earth in Uruguay and is the chair for Friends of the Earth International. For her, this alliance building is critical for a just transition. For us in Friends of the Earth, uh, justice is at the core of everything we do. We believe that uh, the systemic crises uh, are uh, interconnected be it the climate crisis, biodiversity crisis, water crisis, food crisis, and now the pandemic, they have common roots with a system that puts priority on profits instead of uh, taking care of the planet and taking care of people's uh, rights and people's needs. So if we all want to overcome this crisis, we really need uh, the people's movements to come together. And so our struggles go hand in hand uh, with the struggles of the working class, of the trade unions. The first thing for us is to really have a common analysis, uh, which might have uh, different perspectives, or there might be issues in which we don't have a, you know, a common ground or we don't have an agreement. But it is important to be aware of those common agreements and which are, whether there are disagreements as well. Then we think that it's very important to uh, recognize uh, the struggles of the different movements and the different dimensions of justice. And, and when we identify you know, whether we have this shared you know, vision of justice uh, at the core of everything we do, then we can understand better what it means, you know, environmental justice, what it means social justice, what gender justice means. So what we say is that the just transition cannot be paid by the workers, cannot be that the, those who didn't generate the problem are the ones who are going to pay, you know, we, uh, this transition. We have, you know, a quite common history with trade unions. I'm talking about, for example, the history of uh, campaigning against uh, energy privatization and commodification in the 90s, for example, or our joint campaigning with unions against water privatization, which was a very strong campaign in my country, for example, in which we came together with the trade union uh, to uh, fight against the privatization of water. So there is a real commitment, strong commitment to build alliances with trade unions. In around specific projects, we might have differences uh, from time to time, but I think it's also a matter of how much interactions uh, we have and we cultivate. Uh, we have you know, seen how the, the, the unions, the workers' movement is really also committed 
to the same kind of principles we are committed to. Currently, our work is mainly about, you know, just transition in terms of climate justice and energy. And this is going to allow us not just to think about technologies. Technologies are very important because we need to really, you know, leave behind an energy system that is totally dependent on fossil fuels. We need to leave, you know, behind that system. But it's also about of who controls it, uh, who has the power to decide how decision making is taken. Uh, because that's a risk. We might, you know, win the, the battle uh, around renewable energies, but we could have a future in which, in which transnational corporations are controlling the energy system in a way that doesn't allow for the democratization of energy, doesn't, have, doesn't allow for the right to energy. So we do agree that the, the, the transformation needed goes, you know, well beyond the energy sector. And that applies also to the uh, food system, applies also to the uh, way we manage biodiversity, the forest, and so on. Uh, but, you know, mainly that we are not yet calling that just transition. It's a frame in a different way. And I think it's a lot of how the movements uh, want to frame, you know, the, the, the proposals for transformation of society. How broad we want the concept or the, the principle of just transition, it's something that we need to reclaim as movements, that we need to make sure that we are the ones, you know, setting the framework and setting the principles and really, you know, uh, also having a control in terms of how the transition is taking place. So what is needed for a just transition in the garment sector? And what does this mean for the clean clothes campaign? Smith Larson is the network's European coordinator. Clean Clothes has a fairly long history with working with, with workers' rights specifically in the garment sector. And I think that to have a consciousness about the environmental issues, climate issues, and how it actually links to garment workers it's still quite a new thing for the consciousness of the network and it's only now being also written into the global strategic framework our strategy for the next five years uh, under the headline a just transition to a new business model so understanding the broad interlinkages we don't have the, the analysis uh, behind us in our history of work to really provide us with a coherent understanding of it. It's, a, it's both taken into consideration the, the, at the core unsustainability of the business model, which is based on exploitation of both workers and uh, resource environments, and also taken into consideration the move to new types of businesses, uh, e-retailers, um, direct sales, etc. So there are some, some changes in the market. It's not just big brands and, and fast fashion retailers anymore. There are multiple players that are using slightly different business models. And, and all of these things uh, together with a, a general increased focus on environmental issues linked to the garment sector, it does have an impact on workers 
any transition it shouldn't come at the expense of workers. It needs to include workers. It needs to have workers' rights and human rights at the core of it. We also know that the ways of production where it hurts climate, it hurts the environment, it also hurts workers in, a various, in various ways. So it's really about not separating the two. There are different imperatives from, from the fashion industry for these changing business models. At the core of it, it's still about being able to earn as much money as possible and then managing or overcoming whatever uh, risks there may be. Uh, for instance, in terms of climate crisis, uh, changing consumer behavior and consumer markets. I think it really is uh, a challenge for us as a network now to understand um, what are these implications for workers and what are the responses that we propose and what is it that we imagine a just transition looks like and it involves understanding very well the impacts of different changes uh, the different implications that that these changing business models have on workers i think this is also about the bottom-up approach in the network it's also at the core of what we want the the social dialogue and the in inclusiveness of the workers who are directly impacted it's urgent, but I think that this is really the first step and I hope that within the next coming years we have a more broader involvement and engagement and a strong conversation within the network about this so that it's not just coming from a few entities, but it's really, it's, it's greatly mobilizing the network behind what this means. And because of this strong internal focus on it, being able to make the strong links with alliances as well, because we have the core contribution from our side as well about what it means. So this is my hope for the coming years. That's Tiba Smith Larson ending our show. Like always, please send us your feedback. You can find us at podcast at cleanclutes.org. That's on the podcast webpage too. Matthew Albert produced these episodes with Anna Decker and Clean Clutes Podcasting. Liz Parker, Tana Dehu, and Johnson Chin Yin Sound engineering support is by Steve Adam. I'm Fabriana Vergaus. Mm-hmm.